Hello, Buglers, and welcome to the first Bugle of 2021, a year that will surely see at least some of the following things happen. The end of the Trump presidency, the, the first one at least, maybe also the second, the re-legalisation of films that are not sequels or spin-offs, and Olympics, the first Olympics to take place in an odd-numbered year since at least 393 AD. Interesting to see how much difference that makes to the uh, medals table at the end. We could see more medals won by athletes born in odd-numbered years, which might prove something or other. Uh, we could see this year the re- resignation of the COVID virus, either in humiliating retreat at having been vaccinated shitless, or having simply achieved all its career goals as a virus, or through having had enough of Boris Johnson's stupid smirking face. And we will almost certainly also see the full resumption of the British Empire. The planet is back, people. 2020 has been consigned to the history books, where it assuredly belongs with all other years. I'm Andy Zaltzman, and I will, as always, be chronicling absolutely everything that both does and, more importantly, does not happen this year here on the Bugle official podcast of record for the human race. And uh, to begin with, I'm joined to A, finish off the bits left over from our review of 2020 show, and B, review 2021 so far, uh, three and a bit days in, uh, to begin the Bugle year, I am joined uh, for two purposes. A, to finish off the bits left over from our review of 2020 show, and B, to review 2021 so far, all three and a bit stroke four days of it, depending on where you are uh, in the world, by Alice Fraser, who essentially lived uh, through two 2020s simultaneously via the last post and the real world. <laughs> Alice, I mean, that was, a, that was a shit year to do twice in one go, wasn't it? I mean, yes, Andy, except I played them off against each other, like the red robot and the blue robot and the rockin' sockin' robots, and uh, they sort of <laughs> cancelled each other out. <laughs> and uh, I'm also joined by uh, our fellow veteran of the review of 2020 show from a few days ago, and my fellow Brit revelling in our new fangle-found cosmic Brexit befreedomization. It's the former European Nish Kumar. Hello, Andy. Hello, Alice. Hello, Buglers. Happy New Year, and more importantly, Happy New Bugle. Um, I have uh, started the year uh, in the way that I mean to go on with it, Andy, by which I mean Nigel Farage has got the hump with me. (laughs) We are... The New Year is four days old, and I've already wound up Nigel Farage. Um, I appeared on a uh, talk show uh, in Britain, um, hosted by Graham Norton, called The Graham Norton Show, unsurprisingly, uh, on New Year's <laughs> Eve. And uh, due to an unfortunate timing in the edit, uh, at 11pm, exactly as the UK left the European Union, <laughs> I was on uh, BBC One uh, making some jokes about Brexit. Um, and uh, Faragio has got the uh, has got the hump uh, because I described him, if I may quote from the Daily Mail article describing the events, <laughs> as a... Sack of ham brought to life by a witch's curse whose blood type is real ale. Um, and Nigel has received those comments uh, exactly as poorly as uh, you might have anticipated. Um, he's got very upset with me. Um, another piece of news uh, at the moment, Andy, is that uh, the current Doctor Who uh, is likely to step down at oh. the end of her tenure. At the end of this series will be the... Uh, end of her tenure as the Doctor uh, and what I would suggest is if the BBC really wants to uh, irritate large <laughs> sections of this country name me as the new Doctor Who <laughs> can I act? of course not 
I absolutely, under no circumstances, can I act. I uh, have played myself once, and it was a struggle. Uh, but if you really want to cheese off a uh, section, let me uh, let me start the campaign now for me to be named as the new Doctor, Doctor Humor. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'd vote for that. Uh, I, I'm, uh, presumably, it's going to be put put to the public now that we've uh, we've rec- reclaimed. Uh, a democracy from from Brussels because Brussels, Brussels, you know, Brussels was responsible for making Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who back back in the day. That's a that's a fact. It was a European Parliament decision. Well, Nisha, I for one am am deeply invested in this long running frenemies to lovers will they won't they epic where you both sort of you know fight each other but secretly you love each other. <laughs> Uh, we are recording on the 4th of January 2021, meaning it is 2,020 years exactly since the 4th of January 1 AD and the moment when Mary famously said, please, Joseph, can you take him for just an hour or so until sunrise? I'm absolutely knackered. To which Joseph responded, not my kid, not my problem. Does that Mer stuff not knock the little blighter out anyway? Uh, on this day in 1903, Topsy, uh, an elephant, was electrocuted at uh, Luna Park, Coney Island, and uh, it was filmed by the Edison Film Company um, in a film entitled Electrocuting an Elephant. And, I mean, it is uh, true. Have, have, you, have either of you seen the, the film of, of Topsy, the elephant being electrocuted in 1903? I have not, Andrew. Right. I have seen a, a still image of the film that I was being sort of invited to click on, and I refused <laughs> that honour. Uh, Clickbait from 1903, it. sensational. <laughs> Hashtag spoiler alert. I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't seen it because I'm not in the business of watching 100-year-old animal-based <laughs> snuff movies, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it's what inspired the young David Attenborough, apparently. Uh, I have seen that. the gritty reboot. Uh, <laughs> well, it is set more, up for more the zombie sequel. bigger elephant. <laughs> the zombie elephant sequel. But it began uh, way back, 117 years ago now, began a great human tradition of filming weird shit that really doesn't need to be filmed. And uh, you can trace the direct uh, lineage from that uh, down to such uh, such productions as um, as uh, Smurfs 2. Um, and also, you know, cats being surprised by cucumbers is very much the, the, the direct descendant of elephants surprised by being treated like a death row inmate for the crime of having tusks with being an elephant aforethought. Um, as always, a section of uh, this New Year Bugle is going straight in the bin. And uh, this week, in the bin, New Year's irresolutions. Uh, every 1st of January, uh, 7 billion odd humans set themselves apart from all the other creatures on uh, God's not particularly good earth and uh, challenge themselves with New Year's resolutions. Um, targets for self-improvement and personal uh, achievo progressions that uh, in an estimated 99.94% of cases end in uh, one or more of failure, forgottenness uh, or full-scale futility exceeding abandonment, the three Fs, which coincidentally is a secret code used by the British Secret Services when referring to operations to safeguard the Prime Minister, the Foreign Secretary and the Home Secretary. Um, the big the three Fs. Um, previous uh, New Year's resolutions that have failed to be met 
include uh, my New Year's resolution to sort out a proper Andy Zaltzman website. I'm 0 and 20 on that one. Uh, my New Year's resolution to take over the world and usher in a new global era of peace, harmony and progression, also over 20. But it is very much dependent on me getting the website sorted out first. It's really hard to take, take over the world without a strong online presence. And uh, also my New Year's resolution to kick my big game hunting habit, uh, which is tricky. So I haven't got one yet, so it's a bit hard to shake. So uh, given that resolutions always fail, we have for you Bugle New Year's irresolutions, uh, things for you to just give up on uh, without even really making any effort to achieve in the first place. Uh, here's an irresolution for you. Take less exercise. Think about exercising five times a week, but only actually do it a maximum of one time a week, and that includes a briskish walk to the nearest booze shop. Uh, don't bother catching up with old friends. That's a good irresolution to make. What's the point? No one's got anything positive to say these days. Uh, drink less. Uh, well, drink less water. Uh, buy more pointless stuff to clutter up your home just to distract you from the gloom of reality. Maybe a, another giant wooden duck. I've got a spare one if anyone needs. Uh, and uh, give up all hope by February. Uh, and then uh, waver even on that and suffer mild outbreaks of unjustified optimism throughout March. And uh, also, a uh, final irresolution, uh, don't learn to understand ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs. It would be interesting, but what's the f***ing point? Uh, anything that you're, uh, uh, you guys are, are determined not to bother doing uh, as your New Year's resolution this year? I mean, my New Year's resolution was to say yes to more stuff and also to say no to more stuff. Right. So if I can do both of those at the same time, we're easy. <laughs> well, that's, some, that's quite an Australian thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, nah. That's, um, yeah, nah. It's <laughs> quite an easy one to achieve down there. Nish, any, anything that you've uh, not set your eyes on? I think this could be the year that I finally don't learn Mandarin, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a really good feeling about 2021 finally being the year I don't learn how to speak fluent Mandarin. <laughs> I met a lady and she, I asked her what her job was and she said her job was a Mandarin translator. And I said, that's easy, it's sort of like an orange. And she didn't get it at all. <laughs> She was not happy. <laughs> Andy, I've just been to andysaltzman.co.uk. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Chris and I've just been Has doing it, exactly the same thing. Has it thing. been shut down? Has it got my tour dates from about 2015 on it? It's, uh, it's got it all. I mean, it, it, it's got shows you're no longer a part of. A oh, 2018 right. tour. Um <laughs> It's got the, the the podcast is on on a platform that you can no longer listen to it on. All oh, right, okay. Um, yeah. It's it's wonderful. I put it's, it on the to do. Really list. wonderful. It's just I've been so busy uh, with the last eleven months, just jetting around the world, barely had a moment at home on my own to to, to sort these things out. So uh, I'm I, I for one am extremely excited about your 2018 tour. Well, it was a good tour, Nish. You're right to be excited about yeah, it. Yeah, very excited. Show. It's satirist yeah. for hire, and yeah. I'm going to be emailing it a satirical suggestion <laughs> of you satirising your own website. <laughs> do, you, do you know what? I think I've had that requested numerous times before. <laughs> <laughs> I've just signed up to your carrier pigeon mail drop route. All oh, right, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wear goggles. Uh, that section in the bin. Top story this week, uh, leftovers from 2020. Um, due to uh, time constraints, we didn't quite finish everything we were planning to get through in our review of 2020 show, possibly because the year was so jam-packed full of shit that we couldn't uh, compact it all down into a single 90-minute 
disc of uselessness. Um, it, there was a, there was a lot that we were planning to. We planned to have an interview with the, the COVID virus, a world exclusive, um, but uh, that sadly uh, was shelved. And now the virus is uh, a bit too busy. Still, no real clear idea what its motivations are. Wanted to talk to it about how it views its uh, year in the limelight, what its future plans are, and uh, what it now makes of the new mutant tribute viruses that have popped out of late. The best of which, of course, is the British virus, uh, the British mutant virus. Go this is this is what Brexit enabled us to do to create the world's best <laughs> mutant virus, way better than the South African mutant virus, which is uh, ostentatiously um, contagious. The British, you know, it's, it's way way more efficient than the uh, traditional uh, OG virus, I believe youngsters call it. But uh, it's uh, just more British. It uh, just gets things done in a much more polite and organised manner. Um, so, um, uh, so no interview with the uh, with the virus uh, and various other uh, things we were we were hoping to uh, to get round to, but uh, but didn't. Nish, um, what what uh, took us through the things that you were planning to talk about last week as we look back uh, on last year, and because we, we needed to finally tot up exactly what last year scored before comparing it against the start of this year. Well, Andy, one of the things that I wanted to uh, highlight is this is sort of multifaceted. Uh, it's a complex organism when you're considering the failure of the British governmental response to <laughs> coronavirus. There's a number of levels at which you can... Exa- it's like in, it's like the film Inception, Andy. It's failure contained within failure <laughs> contained within failure, right? <laughs> and one of the elements, one of the slightly, uh, I, I would say, unsung heroes of the British government's total f***ing up of the coronavirus response is its corruption, which is has sort of slightly gone unnoticed in this country, but didn't go unnoticed by the New York Times, who stuck their goddamn American noses into our business, <laughs> where they conducted a quite a large investigation into about 1,200 central government contracts that were made public, that had been handed out to various companies to provide various services for uh, the coronavirus response, including sort of providing uh, protective equipment for hospital workers. Um Put together, those 1,200 contracts were worth a nearly 22 billion US dollars. <laughs> now, of that 22 billion, I mean, first of all, let's not be around the bush. That's not chump change. Okay? <laughs> That's not exactly 22 billion dollars. Even I, with my BBC wage, can admit that is a f- of a lot of money. <laughs> uh, of that 22 billion, about 11 billion dollars went to companies either run by friends and associates of politicians in the Conservative Party or companies with no prior experience of response responding to medical pandemics or companies with a history of controversy. And it really reminds me of uh, my favourite Frank Sinatra song. Uh, And it goes a little something like this. It's only corruption if it's not white people. (laughs) Interesting. uh, Interesting number from old blue eyes there. Um, Let's face it. If this was a different country, we'd be uh, throwing around borderline racist phrases like Banana Republic. But it being Britain, all this is evidence of is our post-Brexit future where we will be conducting business without the red tape of laws <laughs> uh, and the problem freedom, is, is it the sweet of, taste of freedom <laughs> yeah, 
the problem with this is that it wouldn't have mattered in some ways, at least in the short term. I mean, there's a longer term impact on the health of the body politic of this nation. But in the short term, it might not have mattered so much if the response had been effective and people hadn't. And again, this is me using some legal terminology, been so f***ing dead. If people had been marginally less f***ing dead... We might not have been, this might not have been something that's so concerning, but there's no doubt that this country has totally f***ed its coronavirus response. And a part of it has to come down to the fact that contracts have been handed out around the dinner table at various supper clubs in West London. And my concern now, as we move into 2021, is obviously the hope for this country really at this point is the vaccine. We have no other hope for us beating this coronavirus. There's no sense of us managing this pandemic. It's all about the vaccine. Can we, can we not just wave the Magna Carta at it? Yeah, well, we we actually have tried that. Right. We tried waving the Magna Carta at it. We tried pointing at a picture of Winston Churchill aggressively. <laughs> and we've tried singing Vera Lynn. And so far, <laughs> the goddamn non-British virus has refused to cooperate with any of those British tactics. But my concern is now, with the vaccine rollout, the government is going to hand out a contract for the vaccine to an MP's neighbour's nephew, who's then going to drop all the vaccines, and yet somehow inexplicably win the contract to clean up the now useless vaccines and smashed <laughs> containers. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, in many ways, this is what we voted for um, in 2016 with, uh, you know, the the, fr- the freedom to f*** things up on our own terms. I mean, essentially what, what, what this <laughs> illustrates, Nish, is how, you know, 45 years of being part of the EU has softened us as a nation to the extent where we can't be corrupt efficiently and we need we need to rebuild that 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 corruption to the to to the levels that we had back in back in our our glory days because for too for too long brussels has been making us you know pretend to go by you know some regulations and you know that's 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 we've lost our edge we've you know if we'd been an independent country all this time not only would the corruption have been you know worth twice the amount you said (laughs) <laughs> billions and billions of pounds but we would also have cured not just covid but all known diseases already so i think this just justifies those multiple votes that i placed back in 2016 <laughs> in favor of henry the eighth um well just uh just quickly on 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 brexit nish we've had um well it's the 4th of january now so yeah, a few days now of the uh the the the, uh, the agreement having been signed and and, and Britain uh, you know in, in the early days of its uh, journey into uh, interstellar freedom uh, I mean it's it's an interesting deal a, a trade deal that means that we trade less uh, an unleashing of freedom in the unconventional form of restricting our freedoms <laughs> horizons and possibilities a taking back of control by a parliament philosophically incapable of exercising control and a restoration of democracy <laughs> overseen by a government that treats democracy like an unwanted christmas sex doll it's a uh, it's i mean it's strange strange exciting times yeah, it's very strange, exciting times, and the consequences of Brexit are already hitting home for my family, for example. I Just before we started recording, I received a string of text messages from my brother, uh, who has just arrived uh, back where he lives in Berlin, um, and he... Um, has just had to queue for the first time. He's a German resident, but he's had to queue for the first time through the non-EU passport queue. And uh, I got a text from him that really sums up the entire process. 
it, it, it was just three words. So f***ing embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is the translation of Oniswaki Malipons. Um, <laughs> And of course, yeah, you know, we have the, you know, the, the, it was the, part of it was to get control back to the mother of all parliaments. And if indeed our parliament is the mother of all parliaments, it is a very old mother, old, deranged, sitting in a rocking chair by a curtained window, mumbling something about how Bernard still loves her. Yeah, either that or it's a mother from a, uh, a Greek play who ends up f***ing her son. <laughs> Family show. Um, as I well, believe so was the play. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Alice, um, what uh, further uh, delights from 2020 uh, took your attention? Well, I think what further delights from 2020 are going to continue to have repercussions through 2021 is probably the theme of 2021 so far. I think uh, everyone secretly had their fingers crossed that it would be a clean slate do-over moment when, in fact, 2021 is just the same thing but more so <laughs> more disappointingly so because we had a brief window of completely unfounded hope that uh, these yeah. massive uh, epic movements of economies and people would uh, stop and take a break and maybe think about what they'd done and go for a run and eat clean for a few days yeah well i, uh, I, I did my best alice yesterday hmm? i made way too much uh, vegetable soup with our leftover Christmas vegetables so I had to put some in the freezer so I put it in a pot and I put a little bit of tape on it and I wrote vegetable soup 3rd January 2020 and <laughs> unwittingly I thought oh, oh no, that's the wrong year I'll tell you what, what I'll do is I'll see if it's magic soup and if time has indeed gone back to this time last year but sadly it was parsnip uh, based soup rather than magic based <laughs> soup so uh, I, I can only apologise maybe when I get it out of the freezer it will reactivate um, Twenty, you can do the last post all over again <laughs> oh, Andy you making twice. too much food is not a new development <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've been to Zoltzman Christmas before that is not a, a yeah. also suggest meal. a corner has been turned v- vegetable soup but made with uh, with ham stock so j- just in case you're thinking that my vegetable soup had gone kosher no no I'm not prepared to cross that bridge yet Andy what? you're so committed to upsetting your forefathers that you're even <laughs> injecting ham into places it does not belong well are you ch- <laughs> chewing bacon flavoured chewing gum now oh that's a good idea um but the um <laughs> 2020 was a real year for culture, so I think it's worthwhile covering it. If by culture you mean people at home watching other people at home, and I do, never before (laughs) have we been able to perv on our exhibitionistic neighbours around the world with such ease via Twitch, YouTube, TikTok and Instagram, like a consensual live version of Rear Window. It's been a long time since I watched that film, but I think it was very sexy. Uh, Last year, reaction videos showing reactions to reaction videos ended up causing a nasty Doppler effect where everyone on Earth was simultaneously defending themselves from accusations of insensitivity and at the same time thanking their fans. On the flip side of that, cinemas took a big hit with everyone's vague feelings that sitting in a carpet chair full of historical farts wasn't exactly the pinnacle of COVID COVID safety, and that crystallised into a brutally stressful binge-watching habit around the world that is nonetheless the only thing hiding most people's fragile relationships together. A shared taste in Netflix (laughs) is the glue, and let's say the kind of glue that you use uh, to put a post-it note on a wall. Seriously... 
I don't know why cinemas have survived for so long. They are like wet look hair gel. The moment you stop using it, you realise it was a terrible idea all along. <laughs> Who wants... To- Whoever wanted to go to the cinema except to justify eating decades-old popcorn from a cardboard buckets whose size was always a prank that was never meant to be taken seriously. No one is ever meant to look at that bucket and go, oh, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> anyway. That's, that's good to hear, Alice, because with- I've always liked on the Bugle to have... Uh, co-hosts who in their different ways are, are very against cinema thriving and you know john went about it one way with his well reluctant though i am to offend tom cruise who's made it his mission to bring back big screens uh i feel like that could be compensatory in the same way that often men of his size like big cars and um, <laughs> We've, we've learned this year uh, from culture that despite tabloid press blowing up crazy stories of celebrities uh, that, ha- you know, play up these celebrities' bad judgments, uh, all we needed to prove that there's no way you could make celebrities appear more off the planet than they are was, what, like, three weeks. Like, three <laughs> weeks without their handlers before Madonna was in a milk bath. And now... <laughs> You know, without their management, half of Hollywood is wrapping half-baked opinions about complex political matters that they found in YouTube rabbit holes and brought out to the light of their billions of fans. Critical thinking and discernment might not literally be inversely correlated with visible six-packs, but I'm just saying most Hollywood actors don't edit scripts. You know, like they're not (laughs) chosen for their... Look, their job is to say stupid things like they mean them. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, well, in, in, for me, I think culturally in t- 2021, the, the big race, the big cultural race is going to be to create a sculpture that can never be toppled, whether that's physically with a spring-loaded anti-topple sculpture uh, that will just you know bounce back uh, to upright, or a sculpture that no one could possibly ever take a- offence to. And um, uh, I think uh, maybe in London, again, we were ahead of the game with the empty plinth in Trafalgar Mm. Square. I mean, that's basically the only statue that can't at some point piss someone off is just a a I'm pretty sure that pissed some people off. Can't even statue anymore any day. (laughs) (laughs) Can't even statue anymore. Uh, sport. I was going to have a, a quick look back at the year in sport in 2020, and frankly, it was shit. Uh, sport had a really shit year, but still way better than reality. Sport proved <laughs> once again its immutable superiority over the real world. And you know, for a while, there, there was this harrowing vacuum of sport, which made you think, you know, what, what, what was the point? What was the point of fighting all those world wars? What was the, what was the point of the development of civilized? What was the point of even climbing out of the sea to evolute? in the first place if we could not watch competitive sport. I mean, that's essentially why evolution began, was that fish had got bored of watching swimming, which is quite a limited spectator sport, really, with all due respect <laughs> to Chris. Uh, as a, a keen triathlete, I mean, it's not the most... Uh, it, it's not it's not the most exciting phase of the triathlon, the swimming bit, is it? And when I mean, triathlon's not the most exciting... Um, yeah, look. Anyway, look. It's great what you do, um, but um, this was the, my sporting highlight of the year, and also I was very lucky to get to go and watch a lot of cricket in my parallel, my own parallel universe as a cricket statistician for the BBC. But my sporting highlight of the year was an egg and spoon race in my next door neighbour's garden, when they were having a birthday party, 
and they had an egg and spoon race up and down their sort of 10 yards London garden and I just happened to be coming out of the house and could see over the fence uh, and it was the first competitive sport I had seen <laughs> in months and it, it, it just lifted my soul I thought oh this is the first glimmer of hope that that some form of normality can can resume so that was uh, you know at the start of last year I did not think that watching my neighbours have an egg and spoon race would be a genuine highlight of my year but that that is how indeed it uh, it turned out Andy, you're slightly underselling your experience with cricket in 2020. You didn't just watch cricket, you lived in cricket. (laughs) There was a period in the summer where Buglers may recall, Andy was living in a hotel, in a cricket ground, (laughs) bubbling with the very sport he loved so dearly. You were basically like Tom Hanks in The Terminal, where your nation had had just ceased to exist and you'd become a citizen of pure cricket. (laughs) And what a world, what a world that was. (laughs) Um. Well, it's like Tom Cruise in Terminal if Tom Cruise in Terminal was a massive aviation buff. Uh, Nish, uh, obviously as the Bugles Indian uh, farming uh, protest uh, correspondent, oh, well, one of our, our two Indian farming protest correspondents that we have on the roster, um, 2020 was, it was quite an interesting, a busy year for you in, in that role. Yes, it was. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a controversial appointment when the Bugle newsroom allocated me this beat <laughs> and not the several actual Indians <laughs> that the Bugle has on staff. Um, but uh, you know, it's a role that I've taken very seriously. Yeah, um, it's been a uh, it, it's been another complicated year uh, for the Indian government, a government that very much puts the ah into India. <laughs> Um, the uh, for buglers who aren't aware, the, there's been a string of large-scale farming protests in India um, due to some uh, new laws that were introduced uh, in September um, under the sort of overall banner of the Model Farming Act. Um, now, a lot of India's population uh, are rural workers, and so these there's a huge amount of pressure on the government to deliver for them because of the increasing issue of. Um, farmers losing money. Uh, Now, these new laws are designed, uh, the government claims, to make earning money a little bit easier for farmers. Um, But the concern is that it actually opens Indian farmers up uh, to the free market and could lead to their prices being undercut and could lead to more wage losses. Uh, Now, so obviously that's inspired a string of protests um, across the country. Um, The government has responded well, I guess uh, in a way that a lot of governments respond uh, by claiming that a lot of the farmers' claims are fake news uh, and misinformation um, and has also uh, responded by having some pretty heavy-handed tactics uh, by the police. Uh, and when I say heavy-handed, I mean the giant gloved hand of Thanos from the Avengers movies. <laughs> um <laughs> It has, uh, it's not been a particularly edifying spectacle. Um, There is some positive hope uh, from the 4th of January, which is today, as we record, uh, the government is supposed to be meeting with representatives from the Farmers Union in the hope that, um, in the hope that there'll be some resolution to this situation. But what this really means is, in terms of incompetent, cack-handed governmental responses in 2020, it really, the final of those that competition really is the Nish Kumar Derby. 
It's <laughs> it's India versus England. The country of my family's birth versus the country of my birth. Who is going to pull away in this semi-final before the obvious final with the other uncontested competitor of the United States of America? <laughs> oh, surely, and- Carl, niche. It's not, it's not like that, is it? This is more like America was so far different that it set up its own sport. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is, we've got a kind of cricket-baseball dichotomy here. Haven't we? America's just off the chair. Can't compete with anyone else. It's not even seeking to compete with anyone else. Yeah, yeah, it's the World Series of Incompetent Governance. <laughs> For buglers who aren't aware, in the 1980s, a uh, British politician called uh, Norman Tebbit uh, introduced something called the uh, Tebbit Test, which was designed to prove uh, to establish the loyalty of British Asians um, by determining which team they supported uh, out of India and England. Um, and uh, they're, they're actually using that as the COVID test in a lot of schools. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in terms of the Tebbit test in this competition, I'll say my answer is the same as the Tebbit test in cricket. I support whichever one is winning. Uh, and so... <laughs> uh, and anyone who says otherwise is a, pardon my French, f***ing idiot. You don't speak very good French. <laughs> it's not what I would call tray good. We don't need to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> f*** them. A rendezvous is going to go back to be calling, being called a good old-fashioned British meet-up with some <laughs> Um, but in terms of the uh, who's actually going to win in this decisive India versus England governmental incompetence competition, I believe the country of my birth may have finally pulled ahead uh, because the Labour MP, Tamajit Singh Desi, actually asked uh, Boris Johnson a question at Prime Minister's Question Time about the Indian farming protest um, because a number of MPs are trying to get the British government via the Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab to pressure the Indian government into uh, changing its tactics for how it handles protests in future. Um, So uh, Tamajit Singh Desi asked Boris Johnson uh, about the Indian farming protest um, and whether the, the, the British government would be committed to helping the protesters be treated fairly by the government. Uh, and Boris Johnson responded by saying this, Our view is that, of course, we have serious concerns about what is happening between India and Pakistan, but these are preeminently matters for those two governments to settle. Now, <laughs> I don't know how Pakistan has made it into that sentence. <laughs> are are relations between the two countries much like the foods of the two regions spicy as all hell yes they are (laughs) do pakistan have anything whatsoever to do with the current farming protests in india no they don't (laughs) this is a concerning for the prime minister and let's remember the former foreign secretary (laughs) of the united kingdom Either our Prime Minister is a class A f**kwit or <laughs> Boris Johnson. <What's> <laughs> <laughs> or Boris Johnson. And in many ways, this is as likely as the first hypothetical I've set up. It may be that Boris Johnson simply refuses to recognise the partition of India and Indian independence. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that could be all. That's all part of Brexit as well, isn't it? It's taken us back, <laughs> taken us back through history. It's, uh, it's. Um, I th- I'm starting to think actually, Boris Johnson's. Uh, I don't know. Is we watched uh, we watched the film Tenet the other day, and I don't know. There's something about 
things going backwards and forwards in time at the same time, and it's not going to end well. That's all I. I think Brexit is basically a subplot of Tenet somehow. In that it is completely incomprehensible and uh, not really what it suggested it was going to be in the trailer. Time travel means time travel, Andy. Do I need to explain it any more clearly? <laughs> Well, that wraps up 2020, and the official final score for 2020 is uh, zero. Uh, zero out of whatever you want it to be out of. So let's see if 2021 uh, can can beat it with our official review of 2021 so far. Uh, here in Britain, uh, we are, uh, well, coming up to 85 hours into 2021. As uh, as we recall, we've touched on, uh, on Brexit so far. Australia heading up towards the, the crucial 100-hour mark, always a key landmark in uh, any year. And, uh, well, a lot of excitement, Alice, because everything has changed in Australia because right at the end of last year, your national anthem changed. Yes, the uh, the Australians all let us rejoice national anthem, uh, which narrowly won a vote against waltzing Matilda for our national anthem back in the day, uh, and is generally recognised to be quite a bad and boring national anthem. Uh, <laughs> is going to have one <laughs> word changed. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the Australian national anthem, uh, the word is uh, young and free. Uh, is going to be changed to one and free. Uh, in order to avoid offending the old. No, in fact, it's in order to avoid (laughs) offending uh, the people who were here for 80,000 years and might resent being called a young (laughs) culture. Uh, So they've decided to change this one word as a gesture uh, of inclusiveness towards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island uh, uh, people. And, ah, look, I don't know if you've heard the Australian National Anthem, but I don't think that's the only word that would have... (laughs) I mean, uh, it goes, Australians, all let us rejoice, for we are one and free. (laughs) With golden soil and wealth for toil, our land is girt by sea. Okay, girt is the word that I have an issue with here. (laughs) Girt is never used in any other context in any other place. It's like tis at Christmas time. It's just an out-of-date word. It is only ever... (laughs) used in this context and I, I look just this there's so much in the national anthem that i would change beginning with the tune uh, and going on to almost every other word in the australian <laughs> national anthem um the, the the fact that there is an australian national anthem uh that was basically written by white people for white people uh, and that it's taken them so long to change just one word uh, feels like any change that we have uh, regarding, for example, a treaty with the Indigenous people is going to be incremental indeed, uh, <laughs> if that is being written one word at a time. Maybe if we edit the Australian National Anthem enough, it'll become a treaty eventually. <laughs> well, of course, we in Britain, we changed a, a, a word of the uh, the National Anthem back in uh, 1952, King became Queen. Um, oh, yeah. but- Our land abounds with nature's gifts. Of beauty, rich and rare. Why are we selling them to the Chinese all the time then? <laughs> now, uh, of course, uh, Nish, we're, we're in the UK. We're not really in a position to give national anthem uh, advice. Um, g- not given... since we caved to the PC lobby in 1952, as you alluded to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. You can't. You know what? You can't fucking say anything these days. <laughs> Um, and as I've said before, you know we're, we're asking the wrong, we're asking the wrong person 
uh, god, a deity whose recent performance has been at best questionable, uh, to save someone who already has uh, supreme medical care and security detail. And, you know, if only we'd been asking God to save our flickeringly intermittent and illusory sense of national cohesion, or our school playing fields, or our pretense at having an evilly vaguely moral political system, or uh, our, even our pubs, uh, then, then you know we might be in a, a better position. The Queen, she she's okay. She's got it going on when it comes to saving herself and being safe by medicine. As I said, security and magic spangly hats. Um, uh, some suggestions have been uh, made that we 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 could update our national anthem as well. Uh, to uh, I wish it could be Brexit every day. Um, uh, my humps, um, or you can stick your decades of peace and prosperity up your European asses, which I think was a, a an early um, uh, Lonnie Donegan skiffle number from the sixties. I'm always impressed, even when a song like My Humps has landed on your cultural radar, Andrew. <laughs> I'm always fascinated to know the backstory of how you, the Black Eyed Peas are something that has registered on your right. radar. Oh, right. Well, you never heard the uh, non-broadcast uh, pilot of The Bugle. It was a very different show. <laughs> that, that song is 16 years old. Is it? Oh, wow. Right. Okay. It all makes more sense now. Right. <laughs> it's old enough to get married to an old Woody Guthrie song now. Not saying it's right, <laughs> it's legal. Bit of an age difference though, Andrew. Bit of, bit of a contentious age difference between my humps and this land is your land. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, so far, uh, 2021 is scoring 0.1, making it the greatest year of the decade so far. <laughs> uh, stay tuned to The Bugle for the next 12 months to see if it can hang on to that lead. It could be a real nail-biter, judging from the way uh, it started. Uh, thank you very much for listening, uh, Buglers. Uh, if you missed the uh, end-of-year review show, we will be making it available when, Chris? A couple of weeks' time or so? Yeah, it'll be four weeks after it went up. So oh, right, that's, okay. yeah, the end of yes. Jan. Anyway, thanks to those who, who did tune in. I hope, I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll uh, should hopefully do some more live shows uh, during uh, this year. Uh, on, and even in person, hopefully, if <laughs> at some point within the next decade. Um, thanks to Nish and uh, Alice. Any, uh, any shows to plug? I mean, go back and listen to the last post. Savage is <laughs> on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I have a podcast called Tea with Alice that I'm going to try and do more regularly again. Um, I think if you live in the UK, uh, you can see me, an hour of me do stand up on Prime Video. That's no, you definitely can. Uh, in the UK, uh, on Amazon Prime, you can see an hour of me do uh, stand up uh, live from the Soho Theatre. And let's face it, you can see it if you live in different countries because, as I've said before, and I'll say again, the Bugle listeners are a pack of f***ing criminals. <laughs> as an Australian, I take that personally. <laughs> <laughs> I will be back uh, uh, hosting the news quiz from uh, later this week. It returns for its uh, January to February series, so do tune into that on your wireless or download it uh, as you prefer. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back uh, next week uh, with Bugle four thousand one hundred and seventy-nine. I don't believe I gave the number for this one, but I'm not sure anything needs numbers anymore. And we will play you out as always with some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers. To join them or to make a one-off or recurring donation uh, to the show, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button.
When attempting to attach a poster to a wall, Claire Swift was struck by a quite revolutionary idea. Eureka! she exclaimed. Staple guns! They can indeed save the planet! A modified firearm that can fire staple foods at people who need them most could be just what the UN needs, turning the destructivity of the weapons trade into a positive benefit for all humanity. High-speed snacks! Now, it's just a design and health and safety issue. This is a surefire winner, concludes Claire. Colin Baird likes Claire's idea but would instantly look to upscale it. I'd go straight to a long-range intercontinental ballistic pasta cannon that can be speedily adapted to do rice or potatoes depending on the weather and to make sure people get a balanced diet. Colin concedes, I'm not a logistics person, someone else can do that side of things. And anyway, I'm already planning out my bolognese sauce missile. Richard Lambert has developed a computer program to write a classical opera in the style of Giuseppe Verdi about the story of how the rock band The Who wrote the rock opera Tommy. I just wanted to see what happened when opera styles clashed, explains Richard. In the end, though, he adds, my special keyboard just churned out some brass band music accompanied by someone singing about Roger Daltrey having an affair with Violetta out of La Traviata, which I guess about averages out musically. On the subject of brass band music, Simon Haynes was surprised by the number of trumpets, trombones and tubers involved when he was finally dragged along to his first brass band concert. I'd always thought it was brass band, as in brass prohibited, uh, rather than brass basically compulsory, admits Simon. I am now filled with regret for cheating my trumpet-loving soul of a lifetime of happiness. And finally, Boris Yelnikov is rightly proud of his name and has been known to break the conversational ice by claiming that he is Count Boris Yelnikov, the hero of a lost sci-fi novel by the 19th century Russian literature star Fyodor Dostoevsky entitled The Ice King from Outer Space. It's obviously a lie, admits Boris, but it certainly helps get the chat going in the queue at a coffee shop or at an awkwardly silent wedding, a tense poker evening or even a high-level job interview. Here endeth the lies. Goodbye.